0: you are listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. Listeners, I remember as my brother took his last breath, I stood by his bedside and I wondered where is he? Where is he going? Was he still in the room? Had he already left into a different realm? What happens when our human incarnation ceases to exist? I thought it'd be interesting to spend a few episodes exploring the afterlife, and to kick it off, we are joined by Dr. Eben Alexander, author of Proof of Life, The Map of Heaven and living in a mindful universe. Dr. Alexander, thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, it's my pleasure, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Wonderful. And your story has fascinated me because as part of this podcast, I've obviously had this intense desire to understand death and the afterlife because my story is that my brother actually died of a brain tumor. He fought for 20 years. Uh And so... And as a neurosurgeon, I think you can uh, sympathize, even empathize with.
1: Very much. I had uh, many, many patients with malignant brain tumors. So I know very well what that's all about.
0: Yeah. and He had an oligodendroglioma-astrocytoma combo and he fought it for Uh 20 years. Unbelievably, he's one of those miracles. I went through, I think, three craniotomies and several rounds of experimental chemos and radiation. So he went through the gamut and I had the honor of, you know, helping him through hospice in the last year. And it really just made me wonder so much about the brain and the afterlife because I'd see him interact with different worlds as he was approaching the end. Uh And and it really just kind of made me wonder about uh, spirituality and the afterlife and what there might be out there. So Uh That's well, where good. you play.
1: <laughs> well, there's a lot to be said about all of that.
0: Yeah. Yes. So like, let's start from the beginning before your near death experience. What was life like for you?
1: Well, I was an academic neurosurgeon. You know, I'd spent uh, more than 20 uh, years or so in uh, neurosurgeon years at Harvard Medical School. So I thought I had some idea of how brain, mind and consciousness work. Uh, I had grown up in a Methodist church in North Carolina. My father, who was very scientific, he was actually chairman of a neurosurgical training program and had been a combat surgeon in the Pacific Theater in the Second World War. Oh, wow. And for him, he had a strong religious belief, uh, took Took us to the Methodist church every Sunday of our lives. And in his mind, the reality of God and the power of prayer were were very real, that he knew that he'd experienced it. And I think that's what got him through World War II and in relatively uh, unscathed territory was his uh, religious belief. And they never it never conflicted with his scientific knowledge of the brain and all that he'd learned and taught about that. Mm -hmm. But for me, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. uh, And as much as I wanted to believe all that I was taught in that Methodist church about afterlife prayer and all that, uh, I really, uh, over my neurosurgical career, had some doubts and questions about how conscious awareness can the death of the brain and body, because I fully bought into the conventional neuroscientific teachings of the late 20th and early 21st century, mm-hmm. and basically the physical world is all that exists, and therefore somehow the brain must be Creating consciousness out of nothing. Right. Uh, But my coma journey showed me very clearly how erroneous that thinking is, and how, in fact, our modern science, the neuroscience of consciousness, and certainly a deeper understanding of quantum physics, leads us into territory where we realize that when our brain and body die, we're actually, our conscious awareness is liberated from the shackles because the brain is something that basically uh, is not creating our consciousness at all. It's a filter that allows inconscience and affecting the filter can influence that, but it's a whole new model in the scientific world.
0: Let's back up just a little bit because um, your near-death experience is what's really influenced so much of your life currently, correct?
1: That is true. It totally rocked my boat. I had to go back to square one uh, and start uh reinterpreting everything I thought I understood about the nature of reality. Yeah,
0: so let's talk just quickly about what that experience was and how it profoundly impacted you afterwards.
1: Okay, well, important to point out that uh, I fell ill to a very aggressive and primitive form of bacterial meningitis. Wow. Uh, and that, that's really the gift of all this because any other diagnosis, and I could not have been able to make the conclusions about consciousness, that I've been able to draw. And that's mainly because such a case of severe bacterial meningitis is a perfect model for human death. And uh, for those who wanna review my medical records, there's a case report that came out in September of 2018 in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases, which is all about my medical records. And it was by three physicians who are independent, did not take care of me. They just reviewed the records because it's such a miraculous and extraordinary case. Hmm. And they basically came to the same conclusions I did, but they went even further. They concluded that it was a shock that I could have any experience at all, uh, far less to have a a much more robust and ultra real experience than anything I'd ever experienced before. Mm -hmm. They also remark on what a shocker it was that I not only lived through this, but that I had a full recovery. Wow. My doctors, by the end of that week in, in coma, had predicted I was down to a 2% chance of survival with no chance of recovery. Uh, and that's why over the next eight weeks to have a full recovery was a mind blower to all of my physician colleagues who took care of I can of imagine. Me. Um, and then the the three physicians who wrote this article in a peer-reviewed medical journal were so bold as to surmise that possibly the extraordinary and kind of miraculous nature of my healing was due in large measure to the spiritual content of my near-death experience. Now, they're saying that through their own similar cases. There are other cases in the near-death experience literature, Uh, for example, Anita Morjani, who had a very advanced lymphoma, or Mary C. Neal, who was kayaking and had a, a warm water drowning for more than 30 minutes where she was trapped underwater with her legs broken under a boulder. Wow. Uh, and and for both of them to come back completely uh, is similar to my coming back completely. Anyone who reviews my medical records uh, who has medical background is shocked by the fact that I could be that ill and yet have a complete recovery. And to have
0: a doctor acknowledge the fact that it might be a spiritual background that helped in the cure is pretty <laughs> well it's,
1: a lot of that is really coming from the the uh, neuroscience of consciousness okay. this is all about the science of consciousness and the science of the relationship between brain and mind and for scientists who study that directly mm-hmm. they realize of uh, you know just as quantum physicists have realized for decades now that we really seem to live more in a mental universe than a physical universe. Right. Uh, there's a beautiful essay by Richard Conn Henry, the head of astrophysics at Johns Hopkins in Nature in 2005. It's called Mental Universe, where he describes very concisely how modern uh, quantum physics is, is leading us to uh, an absolute realization of the basically the mental nature of the universe. And I would say the mental nature from their point of view is very much the spiritual nature view of simply acknowledging that consciousness is fundamental and that our brain filters in consciousness but Uh in fact our conscious awareness increases dramatically when we're liberated from the shackles of the physical brain at the time of death and that's the kind of thing that these scientists who study consciousness in the current era Uh can be very comfortable saying because it really fits all the major data about the reality of non-local consciousness that is things like telepathy remote viewing out-of-body experiences Mm -hmm. precognition
0: yeah um yeah i was going to say i know that the buddhist theology is very much aligned into that um that consciousness exists beyond our limits you know and
1: right i would say there's spiritual wisdom in all the great traditions going back thousands of years right that really supports this notion of consciousness as a much bigger entity and it's only the current era of materialist science and what it's Uh is truth Uh and especially where it runs into problems where no human experience uh, is not explained by these uh, very weak and limited uh, physicalist models that brain creates consciousness we need a much bigger model and that's what the scientists who actually study consciousness are coming to see and in fact for your listeners I would steer them to GalileoCommission.org. I'm one of the mm-hmm. 100 plus scientific advisors for that group. Okay. And if you go to that website, you'll have a statement that was made by that group. Uh, uh, I supported that. In fact, uh, Karen and I were in England in London back in November as part of supporting the launch of that Galileo commission report. But it's really about changing the whole scope of science and our understanding of of the nature of reality all over uh, deeper exploration of consciousness itself.
0: That's a big undertaking.
1: (laughs) Well, it's basically
0: all there is.
1: And you're right. It is absolutely (laughs) essential because our materialist science, which has become the dominant form of our thinking in the 20th and early 21st century, um, in many ways has been divorced from the deeper facets of science and human spirit uh through the the false assumptions of materialism or physicalism that tries to pretend that the brain is the creator of consciousness as opposed to a filter Uh, Mm -hmm. and and that's where this whole thing opens up into an incredibly uh, robust paradigm shift that i would say is absolutely essential because so many of the problems in our modern culture our false sense of separation Our false sense of of kind of uh, a warped view of Darwinian evolution, where Mm -hmm. we've misinterpreted that to think that only competition and the strongest survive. Whereas most biologists will tell you today that in in the biological studies, you basically find collaboration and cooperation both between members of a species and between species as being the the key ingredients to success in in this Mm -hmm. world. Like a symbiosis. Exactly. And so we really need to grow into this deeper understanding of mind, how modern consciousness studies really indicates that we're all sharing one mind and that we reunite with that higher consciousness of of pure. We perceive it as a. A binding force of love that's what near-death experiencers by the millions have been reporting for thousands of years no matter what their prior belief system and that's what we really need to return to this world is this sense of love and kindness and uh, the golden rule treating others as we would like to be treated because those are the deepest lessons that come out of near-death experiences and the modern study of consciousness that is engendered by that uh, those kinds of experiences and it's a lesson that's been lost from this world
0: can you tell us about the that experience of love and completeness that you felt in your near-death near, near death experience and oh yes uh, how that manifested I'd be happy
1: to I, I i explained it all in proof of heaven and i've explained it in many youtube videos but for your listeners i just like to ask some important points it's called the earth for my view a very primitive course unresponsive realm like being in dirty jello important to point out that one of the atypical features of my near-death experience was the fact that I was completely amnesic for the life of Eben Alexander.
0: I had no okay. words
1: or language, no memory of my life before coma. In fact, it was an empty slate. And okay. only much later did I realize why that was so important. But anyway, it started in that earthworm eye view, and I was rescued from that by a slowly spinning clear white light that came packaged with a perfect musical melody. And that opened up into a rich, ultra-real Uh, valley that i call the gateway valley it had many earth-like features there was a tremendous uh, plant growth flowers blossoms buds on trees just incredible um, fertility and and growth and no sign of any death or decay
0: Hmm, it sounds beautiful it
1: it, (laughs) it was beautiful beyond words and uh, Mm -hmm. i was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing and we were looping and spiraling in vast formations of millions of other butterflies, colors beyond the rainbow. And below us in this meadow were thousands of, of beings that were dancing, lots of joy and festivity and merriment going on. I saw children playing and dogs jumping, just incredible uh, mirth. And it was all being fueled because up above this beautiful valley uh were these swooping orbs of angelic uh, kind of orbs of light leaving sparkling golden trails. And they were emanating chants and anthems and hymns that would just thunder through me. And the the modes of knowing in these realms are very different from, you know, in this realm where we see with the eyes, hear with the ears. And then our brain filters a tremendous amount of information Mm -hmm. uh, to give us this tiny little trickle of an apparent here and now and sense of self. Uh, And in these realms, on these journeys, when we're liberated from all those filtering mechanisms, it's like drinking through a fire hose and becoming broad swathes of the realities presented to us. I mean, that's exactly what near-death experiencers have been presenting in the form of the life review for more than 2,400 years. You know, when you die Mm -hmm. having your the key uh, elements of your life, any residual lessons flash before your eyes, whether they be for good or bad. But for anyone who's been handing out a lot of pain and suffering to others, that life review can be kind of unpleasant because you experience the impact of your actions and even thoughts on those around you. And the life review is a beautiful example of how it's not so clearly just self that lives these lives because the life review is kind of a course correction mechanism Where if we've been handing out whatever we've been handing out to others, whether it's pain and suffering or love and kindness, we feel it during the life review. We feel the result of our actions and thoughts. And it's a course correction that helps to nudge us back uh, to loving and treating others as we would like to be treated. It's almost like the golden rule is written into the very fabric of the universe in the form of these life reviews that are present in more than 25 percent of reported NDEs
0: wow so it's in pretty intense <laughs> it, it,
1: it it's it's uh, absolutely astonishing but it and i saw this presented to me in very robust fashion but it could not be presented in a way that allowed me to have an eben alexander life review because my lessons were in a, in essence required that amnesia but i saw life reviews for sentient civilizations going far beyond humanity and how it all works in terms of Uh, uniting this kind of lower material realm with those higher spiritual realms and that this is really all about learning and teaching these beautiful lessons that we're here to gain as part of evolution of consciousness but in in my journey getting right back to this and trying to finish it up uh, in my NDE that gateway valley was just a stepping stone to higher and higher levels and I remember seeing all of four-dimensional space-time collapsing down All of that spiritual realm and that beautiful gateway valley and associated what I call deep time, a whole different ordering of causality that applies to our progress in those spiritual realms. All of that collapsing down until I entered what I call the core, an infinite inky blackness, but filled to overflowing with the the, uh, infinite healing power of unconditional love of that creator for the creation. And that right. realm was infinite oneness with the divine, which you cannot remotely put into human words that convey anything of the reality of it. And that's why uh, so much of our work is to help other people get there. You don't have to have an NDE to know right. all that I know about those realms. You have to explore consciousness. Meditation or in prayer are the, are the way to get to know all of this.
0: When you were in that, I don't know if you remember this, but when you were in that zone, did you want to come back, or you had no clue of what was going on on the earthly? Yeah,
1: side? I really, you know, that amnesia meant that I really had no idea what was there at this end of the of the uh, spectrum, uh, okay. you know, the material world end of it. And in fact, uh, in the core, I would I would cycle through all those realms I discussed many times, and I learned by remembering the musical notes, the melody when I was went from the sanctum sanctorum of the divine in that core realm all the way back down to that earth where my view it was by mm-hmm. remembering the musical notes of the melody that allowed me to traverse that portal to conjure up that beautiful spinning clear light that took me into the gateway valley and then it was the angelic choirs above that provided another kind of musical vibratory Portal into higher and higher levels, all the way out to the core. And I went through those levels many a time, but I was always told you're not here to stay. When I was in that core realm, and that ended up being the case. As I tell in proof of heaven, there came a time when I could no longer conjure up that portal to higher levels, and that's when I came back to this world. But it was to be there for my son, who appeared to me as one of the six faces that I saw at the very end of my. I had no memory of these people at the time. But it was the emotional connection and my son pleading with me, daddy, you're going to be okay. daddy, you're going to be okay." which happened on the seventh day of coma after he heard the doctors recommended my family. It was time to stop the antibiotics. And it was uh, I promise you, I didn't hear his words with my ears. I didn't see him with my eyes, but Uh it got all the way through those multiple spiritual levels to me that I had a profound responsibility to this other soul. Uh, and I had to come back for him. That's what drove me back to this world.
0: So, so you end up waking up to much to everybody's chagrin. They're all completely surprised that you're back on this earth. But and important then... to point out that
1: my brain was still absolutely wrecked. It's not an easy thing for my family to see because the doctors had basically said I was down to 2% chance of survival, no chance of recovery. And when I first mm-hmm. started coming back to this world hours later, my brain was so wrecked, I did not even recognize loved ones at the bedside, like my mother, my uh, sisters, my sons. I had no idea who these beings were. All those memories were still to come and took about two months to fully return to me.
0: Wow, two months. That's, that's a long recovery. Uh, it, it,
1: it was. I mean, I'm very grateful that I had yeah. this astonishing <laughs> recovery, but it left a lot of mysteries in my mind.
0: So you, two months, you start remembering people, you're on your way back to recovery, and the whole time you're thinking about this alternate universe that you experienced. Um, and so from that on, how did that really change how you lived?
1: Well, I, I think it's important to point out that the, the journey itself, the, the near-death experience itself was so shocking.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: yet when I was Dealing with it early on in those early weeks, I still had no knowledge of brain-mind consciousness that I gleaned over all those decades working as a nurse, nurse, and that was still slowly to come back, Okay. and so I was deeply mystified by it. In fact, I took my doctor's word for it when I was trying to tell them about my NDE, and they would just pat me on the back and say, well, you were very sick. Your entire neocortex was soaking in pus, full thickness damage. We have no idea how you're coming back to us, but you can forget about it because that level of damage we documented to your brain would not allow for any kind of conscious experience. It had to be a hallucination. So I remember telling my oldest son when he uh, came back uh, two days after I got out of the hospital, he drove home from college. He was majoring in neuroscience at the time. And I told him it was way too real to be real. To me, huh. that meant it had to have been a vast hallucination. So my default explanation early on was it had to be a hallucination. I wanted to explain all that. Right. But the more I delved into my medical records and talked it over with my fellow physicians, the more I realized I didn't have a brain that could have manufactured such a hallucination. And huh. they shared that deep mystery with me. I've had a lot of my physicians who've been on this road of discovery with me. Okay. Uh, you know, supporting all the way. So... Uh, it's it's really a shocker and it was four months after my coma of course as i tell the story in proof of heaven um, when i finally recognized who that beautiful guardian angel was on the butterfly wing where i went oh my god and that's when it all started to come together and i realized it seemed way too real to be real because it actually happened and by that time i was now reading near-death experiences my my son had advised me at that first meeting two days out of hospital as a neuroscience major he said well don't you dare read anything about somebody else's nde you need <laughs> to write down everything you can remember about yours so i took six weeks wrote about a thousand words before i finally dove uh-huh. into the nde literature which i'd never read before because i never believed yeah. any of it could be true and-
0: yeah i mean i've definitely read a bunch of raymond moody and it is amazing the documentation of the similarities of these experiences it you know?
1: really is shocking and they don't it's... depend on your prior religious views in fact people's religious views are often dramatically shifted by the content of their near-death experience for example for me uh you know i didn't realize the oneness of god at the very source of our conscious awareness but that's exactly what i discovered there and then found to be corroborated by you know many other near-death experiences not only that but the reality of reincarnation I'd never studied the scientific literature on reincarnation. I didn't realize there's a very strong literature, especially out of the University of Virginia, work of Dr. Ian Stevenson, Dr. Jim Tucker, more than Uh six decades, more than 2,700 cases. I mean, this is not something you can just kind of dismiss as, well, it doesn't fit our theoretical models, therefore it can't be true, because there's way too much empirical evidence that needs explanation.
0: Yeah, and there's my family background is from India, so you can imagine you know, all the, the diverse realm of religions in India that all believe in reincarnation. Right. It goes back centuries, you know. Well, and, and it's
1: even a part of early Christianity. People kind of miss that. They often think that, you know, Christ and, and uh, uh, the teachings of that era discluded uh, reincarnation, whereas, in fact, the opposite is the case. Christ talked about... Uh, john the baptist as a reincarnated prophet so Mm -hmm. clearly reincarnation was something that was near and dear to his heart it was actually constantine who made any discussion of reincarnation punishable by inverted crucifixion that was centuries after christ and it's because they realized when they were trying to codify uh, christianity that this notion of reincarnation in many ways delivered power back to the individual soul and mm-hmm. took it away from the church. And they, they wanted to uh, corral all the power they could within the church's kind of official adaptation of Christianity. And so it was only uh, centuries later that reincarnation was made uh, illegal in, in any kind of discussions in, in formal Christianity. But that's, I would recommend people interested in that question go to Dr. Herbert purrier's book, uh, Why Jesus Taught Reincarnation. He explains it very fully.
0: Okay. Wow. So you are a believer in reincarnation, which is so interesting. i not just a believer.
1: All. I think the evidence for reincarnation is so strong, one would be a yeah. damned fool to ignore it. Uh, and again, <laughs> go to uvadops.org to learn a tremendous amount more. Uh, but, you know, in, in something like 35% of those 2,700 cases, the children uh-huh. actually have a birthmark that corresponds to the mortal wound of a prior incarnation. I mean, Uh the evidence is really shockingly complete.
0: Do do you believe that we're reincarnated into sort of the same like social realms with the same spirits?
1: I think it always has to do with our soul growth because all of this exists. And this is where I would point out there's a difference between this notion of reincarnation and what you might find, for example, uh, in some Eastern interpretations of reincarnation. And that is that it all has a purpose our lives here are coming back again and again is really a process of growth through learning and teaching uh, right. with others. Uh, and so it, it, it has a goal in many ways, I would say that Tillard de Chardin, who wrote that beautiful book, The Phenomenon of Man back in the mid 20th century, hit the nail on the head. He kind of completely reshaped views of evolution uh, from mm-hmm. the current, the fashionable Darwinian version of materialist evolution at that time. And pointed out that there could be a far grander evolution going on. That's the evolution of all consciousness. And I would say that that is my view completely, but also realizing just like that old saying, all politics is local. Well, all (laughs) evolution of consciousness throughout the universe is nothing more than the journey of individual souls to learn more about their connection with the co-creative force and their oneness with the consciousness of this universe.
0: That makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, I always seem to meet people and I feel like you're a young soul, you're an old soul, you know, like you, you can feel the evolution when you meet people. That's right. right. And
1: I would say that often has to do with the degree to which one has separated their notions of from a notion of self. In right. other words, if somebody is me focused, self focused, completely oblivious to the fact that we're sharing a mind that we're all in together. Then they have a very early soul that can be egocentric, uh, very uh, kind of narcissistic, uh, completely uh, self-focused, uh, and they they just uh, have a lot of growth to do. And then you've got souls who are extremely kind of altruistic, philanthropic, giving Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, and and others like that who came to this world to really teach love and, of course, in in Many people's views that would ultimately reside in some of the prophets, especially Christ. But also, uh, I would say many could argue that uh, that the Buddha, in many ways, uh, talked about a loving connection with that one force in the universe. Uh, many other uh, religious leaders, in, in many ways, have. For example, uh, I think Muhammad, in his teachings of a very merciful, powerful, loving presence at the core of the universe, was trying to teach a similar thing. But what we're up to today is realizing we're all in this together. And it's a part of the reality, the fabric of human existence that is revealed through near-death experiences and through the broader study of uh, non-local consciousness to help us get to this this kind of higher level of understanding.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's so complex. And, and honestly, I feel like in this day and age, people... Don't understand things until it happens to them you know and so well that's like why in my case personal
1: experience is so key you're right
0: oh, yeah like in my case you know this these things entered my brain on a real um, low level until i took care of my brother at the very end and oh saw, that's
1: such a gift
0: you know saw that end-of-life process and saw him communicating with spirits like my parents died in a car accident um, back in the early 2000s and he'd have full conversations with them
1: oh wow that's so beautiful
0: yeah, and I played along with it because I didn't want to disturb his current reality. You know? Right. There's no point, really. And of course,
1: he's sharing with you a current reality that is pretty yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah, it was pretty amazing. So to witness those kinds of um, communications that he was having really opened my eyes to all of you know all of this. It's so big and beautiful and really quite amazing and more than we can even conceptualize in our current human incarnations. You know.
1: Well, the good news is that your, your listeners don't have to wait for the scientific community at large to catch on, right? You know, just because the conventional scientific community is still lost in the weeds and completely ignorant about the deep lessons of consciousness and its reality as a, as a fundamental entity, that doesn't mean that all sentient beings and all your conscious listeners, the seekers in the group can go find out for themselves. Aaron and I wrote that book, Living in a Mindful Universe, where to share the techniques to allow all sentient beings to go within and to come to these extraordinary kind of connections on their own.
0: And I was just going to say, why don't you tell us a bit about Sacred Acoustics, correct?
1: Yes. Uh, And... uh... I think uh, important to point out that uh, my life partner and the co-author of my book, uh, Living the Mindful Universe, is Karen Newell, and she is also the co-founder of Sacred Acoustics. I've been working with them for more than uh, eight years now. Okay. Uh, I, I first met them long before their company existed, uh, and it was all over this interest in using differential frequency sound. And I don't have a lot of time to go into it, and I don't want to bore everybody with a neuroscientific (laughs) lecture. But the important thing to understand is that this phenomenon of binaural beats, which I think sacred acoustics goes further than anyone I'm aware of, to Mm -hmm. develop into a profound tool for expanding. Uh, Binaural beats were discovered in the mid-1800s by a Prussian physicist named uh, Heinrich Wilhelm Dove. And he found that if you present a pure tone to one ear, let's say, for example, 100 hertz, 100 cycles per second in one ear, and a slightly different frequency to the other ear, say, for example, 104 hertz. And mm-hmm. somewhere in the brain, you generate uh, the arithmetic difference between the two. So 104 minus 100 gives you 4 hertz signal. Okay. And it turns out that th- those are very low frequencies that can be generated in that fashion. Uh, like under 1 hertz up to about 20 hertz is about the limit of what you can generate. But it's a very powerful signal. Mm -hmm. And it's generated in an ancient circuit in the lower brainstem that evolved more than 300 million years ago. From my point of view, as we explain in detail in living in a mindful universe, it is this uh, uh, processing in, in such an ancient circuit that allows these tones to have such a profound effect at liberating people from the illusion of here now and the sense of self and exploring deep into consciousness. Uh, it turns out that binaural beats uh, in a loose fashion were used by Robert Monroe in the late 20th century. He wrote three books about out-of-body experiences and found that binaural beats helped to engender that state. Also, remote viewers, people, psychic spy programs around the world, uh, that kind of technology was greatly enhanced with uh, binaural beats. And I would say if people go to sacredacoustics.com, download the free 20-minute OM file. Look at some of Karen Newell's uh, instructional videos on that website. You can learn a whole lot more about going within. And then the other key ingredient for your listeners is uh, without spending a penny, you can go to ebanalexander.com. There's a banner that'll wiggle in your face there, your 33-day journey into the heart of consciousness. Simply put in your first name and an email address, and for 33 days, you'll get uh, the main concepts of our book, Living in Mindful Universe, but all for free. And not only that, you'll get four Sacred Acoustics products for free, and also more than 6,000 people from around the world have taken that EvanAlexander.com 33-day journey into the heart of consciousness. And they're leaving their comments at the bottom of each of those pages and Mm -hmm. helping each other and sharing experience. So it's a beautiful community that's growing up, and it's available to all of your listeners completely for free. So I would encourage people to go to that, that website and take that course.
0: That sounds amazing. I think I'm going to have to do that.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's a good one. And and we get a lot of comments, especially I hear a lot from students, from scientists, from engineers, from people who've had their own experiences. Uh, and wow. they're all very grateful because there is a worldview that allows us to make sense of this in the modern scientific era. But it also right. demands a, a more A complete uh, kind of rendering of our understanding of the measurement paradox and contextuality in quantum physics. You know, there's very deep mysteries that imply the primacy of consciousness, that mind is something fundamental in the universe, not derivative from the brain. Uh, And that's why it's not the low hanging fruit. This is very kind of challenging material. And that's why the scientific community is still uh, not even out of the starting gates, by and large, for uncovering all this. Although many scientists are, as I mentioned, that GalileoCommission.org is a beautiful document for people to to see to expose how modern science is coming into this fuller view of consciousness and human spirit.
0: All right. Good to know. Wow. There's there's a lot going on there. There
1: is a lot.
0: Our (laughs) listeners have a lot of homework to do if they want to reach this conscious state, right? Well, the good
1: news Um, is it's all worth it because you can end up having tremendous influence on your health and the health of others. And also on many of the events unfolding in your life, you don't have to be, uh, you know, just kind of a, a, a passive observer and, and kind of victim of circumstance. But we can manifest the uh, free will of our of our higher soul, essentially, to manifest the world of our dreams.
0: And I and I think what it also comes down to is that people don't have to be afraid of death.
1: Exactly.
0: Because it's not an end. No,
1: it's, it's an adventure. It's an beginning. extraordinary adventure. Exactly. And that's what all yeah. the evidence leads us to believe. I mean, these near-death experiences should not be happening at all. If, you know, if the materialist model of brain creates consciousness were true, we'd never be having these kinds of things occur. And especially right. with all the kind of overlap and reality we see and then in the bigger theater of operations it fully accepting the reality of reincarnation based on that scientific work out of university of virginia then we start realizing oh my gosh this universe is far grander and more miraculous than i ever could have appreciated before and just because i cannot set up every experiment as a randomized controlled, double-blinded assessment but i have yeah. to look at some of nature's own experiments in the form of human experience near-death experience shared death experience after-death communications Past life memories and children indicative of reincarnation. These are all right. pieces of evidence that we can take uh, and and use to develop a richer model of the workings of reality.
0: Well, I think I think that's a huge lesson for us all.
1: Well, it's a beautiful gift. I will tell you. there's <laughs> nothing to fear about death and our connections with loved ones continue after a loved one has left the physical plane. And that, I think, is one of the most beautiful aspects of all of this. And we can learn to cultivate those relationships by developing uh, a richer interaction with our higher soul, by going within through meditation, realizing the voice in our head is not the pathway to truth. That little voice in the head is the voice of the ego. Uh, It often can use fear and anxiety. Uh, It is not our consciousness. Our consciousness is the actual awareness And that is something we can develop tremendously by going within, quieting that little fearful and anxiety written voice of the ego and start
0: up
1: our relationship with that higher soul, with that neutral objective observer. Uh, And this is all stuff we discuss in great detail in our play shops and also in the book Living in a Mindful Universe and on that course, the 33 day course, people will learn much more about all of this.
0: Quiet the monkey brain.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That little chatterbox is not our friend.
0: I know. So I actually asked all my um, guests certain questions and you answered one of the questions with this entire podcast about your version of the afterlife. <laughs> um, but the second question I ask is considering what you've been through, what do you think the most important piece of wisdom you've learned um, throughout your, your experiences so far is most important like what would you like to share with our
1: listeners i think the important thing is no soul left behind this evolution of all consciousness depends on every single soul and uh you know and it's not just about humans this is also about a much richer relationship that we need to share with the natural world with the animals and plants in our lives but Mm -hmm. it's really about sharing that sense of kindness of love and compassion Beginning with ourselves, because I came to realize from my coma journey that the vast majority of the world's problems were had to do with the fact that we've lost that connection that we share through our very conscious awareness with mm-hmm. the creative force of this universe, that God force that so many ears have experienced directly uh, when freed from the shackles of, of the physical brain and body mm-hmm. is something that we all share all the time. We're right. all important in this growth, and it's all through that love and kindness and forgiveness and acceptance, realizing we're sharing the one mind. The more we can make all the choices in our lives from that position of treating others as we would like to be treated because of the concrete reality that that's what's going on. By sharing the one mind and by acknowledging the reality of life review at the end of uh, our physical lives, you know, reporting more than a quarter of NDEs. Mm-hmm. We really need to acknowledge all that. And that's what will lead to our growing into the, the souls and the soul group and the humanity that we truly came to this world to awaken into.
0: Wow. So be kind to yourself, most of all, and to all other beings.
1: Right. Well, that, the best way to manifest that love for self as a, as a divine co-creator of the future is to manifest that love for self and others, to serve as a conduit for that love for all beings acknowledging that we're all in this together.
0: I think that sounds great. Well, let me thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge and your experience. It's just fascinating what you've been through. And it sounds like you're sharing um, your gift of knowledge uh, of the beyond with everybody. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you so much for all the work you do, because getting this out to all of your listeners is a very uh, beautiful uh, gift To all involved so thanks thanks for that
0: all right take care thank you all right
1: you too thanks so much for having me we'll talk soon
0: bye-bye you've been listening to written on water don't forget to subscribe rate and review this podcast thank you so much for listening until soon